Well, on today's show, comedian, writer, actress, the great Judy Gold. So oftentimes in personal relationships, even though I have a witty uh, remark ready to go, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> spare someone's feelings, you know, I'll hold off on that. But I do believe that when you stop talking about stuff, when you don't talk about stuff, right? When there's no discourse, there's no evolution. And I really I have strong feelings about that. Even the shit that I hate, you know, you should be able to say it. Jennifer Kalari coming right up and it all happens now. Welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick, and this is the show where we talk about mental health issues. We talk with entertainers. We talk about how we relate to our thoughts and feelings, how we take care of ourselves. We talk about mental health as a practice, and then we actually practice it. And we do it with none other than the great Jennifer Kalari, who will be joining us soon from ConnectedParenting.com, her organization. Jennifer is a child and family therapist and uh, so much more. And she, she teaches us all kinds of skills skills about rewiring our brain, understanding our brain, and tools that we can use, very simple skills that we can use to, to, change, uh, to change our mental health, to make life better, life easier. And so that's what the show is all about. That's what we're all about. Jennifer, coming up shortly, I wanted to talk today about two things that may not seem related, but one is actually thinking about what's good for you. And that came to me this morning because I've been eating, you know, like with the pandemic, I've been, especially, I've been eating just to eat. And I start, I actually asked myself the question, what am I going to have for lunch and what's actually good for me to have? And that's kind of the way that I've been dealing with, with, uh, with life. And I think a lot of people deal with life. It's not, it's not what's good for me. It's how am I going to get through this or or what am I going to have? Or when am I going to be there? All these kinds of things. So I want to talk a little bit about that, asking yourself that kind of a question. The other thing I wanted to talk about today is crying. This is going to be a tribute to crying because I don't know about you, but I, I don't know whether, whether I've lost the ability to cry or it's more and more distant for me or I've become more dissociated with my emotion. I don't know what it is, but I just... I cry at times when, you know, you don't expect it, but I don't really cry a lot. I do when something moves me and I'm watching a movie or things like that or something, or of course, a, a very good uh, commercial will do it for me. I think I used to do it more when I was younger, and I'm a little concerned about it. Uh, we're going to talk about crying. You can, you can think of this episode as the crying game. And then Judy Gold, we have a great conversation with Judy coming up. We do it a little differently this time. Judy, we pre-taped, I pre-taped a conversation with her. And then Jennifer and I are going to talk and we're going to respond to some of the things that Judy says and some of the things that we're going to talk to with each other. And it'll be a wonderful, wonderful program. You pick the right place. This is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now, we always do uh, emotional shout-outs on the show, welcoming people, whatever emotional state they're in. Today is no different. Here are emotional shout-outs. If watching The Sound of Music with your family and uh, during Climb Every Mountain, you yell out, sell it, sister, welcome. If you start every day by adding snacks to your disaster preparedness kit, welcome. If you look in the mirror and ask, what are you looking at? Welcome. 
If while singing karaoke in your car at a stoplight, you take an imaginary microphone and point it toward the person in the other car staring at you, welcome. If you can't cry at a funeral, but you lose it during a 5G commercial, welcome. If your favorite yoga pose is frownward dog, welcome. If your imagination is so fed up with you that it's actually running away with someone else, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Now, a new mental health comedy product coming out, it's a company called Candemic. We know what a pandemic is. This is Candemic. It's a new company that lets you put your favorite quotes on canned goods. We love to label things in this world, so why not label them for the positive? Choose from preloaded quotes and inspirational phrases. If you're going to label things, do it with the best message possible. Now, instead of chunky chili, you'll have chunky, you can do anything chili. Now, instead of tuna, you'll have keep calm and carry tuna. Now, instead of oil and vinegar, you'll have oil and roomy. You are the entire ocean in a drop of balsamic vinaigrette. Candemic, catch the inspiration. Now, I want to bring in our friend from the North and the South, Jennifer Kalari. And Jennifer, the first thing is, let's talk about crying for a minute. Sure. What do you do when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I really, you know, I kind of have trouble crying now. Well, you know, I hear this a lot. And I think I'll answer this, this in a big way, and then we'll kind of bring it down to that question. So, and this is especially true for men and boys. We are parented in a way, and the, our whole culture tells us that crying is weak. Don't be a baby. Don't be a crybaby. Boys in particular, we have to be so aware of how not just parenting, but cultural messages and films and movies, and it's, there's just this pressure on everyone, but especially boys, not to cry and not to show weakness. And as parents, we, we worry when our kids cry. We want them to stop crying. Crying is actually a really important function. First of all, cortisol releases through tears. Cortisol is the stress hormone, right? So when you have excess stress in your body and excess of cortisol, your body excretes it through your tears. So crying actually has a, a physiological function. And it's such a release to be able to cry. And so we look in our culture so negatively at any kind of emotions like anger or sadness, crying. We see it as weakness. We see it as you're not coping. But that is coping. That is coping. Parents who are listening, let your kids cry. Connect with them, mirror with them, soothe them and say, you know, baby, cry it out. Get it out. Let it out. You're going to feel better after. We do a lot of, of stopping that, which then becomes a program. Program laid down in the brain, crying bad, stop crying. And over time, Ed, as we sort of stuff things down and we, we've sort of lost the ability to cry, there's almost this feeling like if I start crying, I'm never going to stop. It's going to be like a floodgate and I'm never going to be able to stop crying. Many, many people will say I've lost the ability. I just, I just can't cry anymore or I'll start crying and I just can't keep it going. So part of that is in a really safe space, either in your own mind or with, your, with a therapist, just try to work through kind of what's stopping you from crying. And then what is the program in your brain about crying, which is really important. And we have such an understanding of hard tech, like computers and how to work your phone and how to do all these complicated things. But we struggle so much with what I call soft tech, which is your own brain, the technology that's in your own brain and the way that your own body runs and processes information and, and releases information and, and regulates itself in a really solid integrated brain is really understanding that soft technology. And so just understanding the function of crying, for example, is really important. 
so this is a, you know, it's not, I'm not sitting down saying people, you should sit down and make yourself cry, but I am saying, how do you make more room for it in your life? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, for a lot of people, they physically will stop themselves from crying. Like they'll feel it coming and they'll just force it back down. And then when you do that so often, it just becomes automatic. And that's what I mean by a program. I would say to start with, just kind of think about and ask yourself some questions. Am I afraid of what's going to happen when I'm when I cry? Mm-hmm. Um, how many? What, have, what did my family believe about crying, or what are my beliefs about crying, or about men crying? Like, just kind of really challenge yourself and really look at the the paradigms there, and then recognize that the act of not crying is probably a program. Now, some people cry at everything. There's people of the opposite problem. Like they just they're mad and they cry, and they're happy and they cry, and they cry all the time. And that's something you want to be able to regulate. But not being able to cry, like, do you actually feel like you want to cry and you just can't? Or you just don't Uh, even feel like it? No, I just feel like I don't, I don't really make, you know, I don't really make room for it. I definitely get that thing sometimes where I'll stop it Mm -hmm. and I'll edit it. You know, when my mom passed away many years ago, a therapist told me, because I was afraid that once I started crying, I wouldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. So my so the therapist said, I want you to do this experiment. And this is get up in the morning, take out all the pictures of your mom, all the stuff that reminds you of her, everything, music, whatever you want, spread it out like a picnic, and then take your alarm clock. Yeah. Set it for 10 minutes. And for 10 minutes, you can feel whatever you want to feel, whatever comes up, you make space for it. And then when the alarm clock goes off, you put everything away and you start your day. And that actually, doing that for a while actually really did help me. So in that case, it was like consciously making time for, for that. Yeah. There's making um, time and, then, and giving yourself permission to do it. And then you didn't have to worry that you wouldn't stop because you had the alarm clock. That's right. That's right. And it became proof that like, oh, see, here's the proof. I actually have the proof that I'm not going to, you know, I'm yeah. not going to die. I'm not going to melt. I can go on with, I can have emotion and go on with my life. Of course. And that's that's Um, what a lot of us need to realize. And that's when you sort of think about these things. The human brain, when we grieve or when we're crying, you really can't cry forever. If you sort of look at funerals, people will cry and they'll be sad. and And then the conversation shifts and you start giggling a little bit about something and you laugh about the person. And then you think, oh, wait, you know, I've, I've got to, what am I doing? But the, the emotions kind of ebb and flow. Your body won't let you be too devastated for too long. It'll naturally lift. And if you allow yourself to cry, either by just making a time for it or just crying as long as you feel like you need to cry, what you'll find is that your own emotional regulation system will lift a little bit. And when you get it out, you'll be like, okay, I feel like I feel like I got that out and I'm ready to go do something else. And I might come back and cry about that thing again. But your, your body sort of ebbs and flows and it'll take you through these cycles. And you have to learn to just trust those cycles. We're, we're terrible at that in our culture. We avoid negative emotions. We think they're bad for us. We, we try to shut them off. And as parents, we you know, give our kids something to stop them from crying. And it's really important to embrace all of our emotions. They're all of us. It, what it, it's what it means to be human. And crying is very cathartic. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful release. It really is. What's the self-talk? What kind of conversation are you having with yourself where you're saying, you know, it's okay to have feelings, make room for, the, for things mm-hmm. to come up. It's all right. It's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. It'll pass. 
Mm-hmm. Are those the kind of statements yeah. that you're making? Yeah, exactly like that. And also to tell yourself that just because you feel sad in this moment doesn't mean you're going to feel like that for the rest of your life. Let your body feel what it's feeling. And and you and I talk about this all the time on this show. The more you try to avoid it, it chases you and it gets bigger and it does it works harder and harder to get your attention. Turning around and walking right towards that emotion and just letting yourself feel it. Just letting it wash over you and trust that it's going to ebb and it's going to flow. It's like it's like water. It's like waves on the sand. They're going to crest, then they're going to fall, and then they're going to crest again. You know, sort of getting to this place. And I love to do this. It's such a simple thing to do. But you basically just put your hand on your chest, right over your heart, and actually kind of imagine this sort of glow inside your heart. And then just literally say to yourself, I feel this way because I care so much, because I care so much. And just just even doing that gives yourself a little bit of permission. It lets you feel, but also allows your frontal lobe to be working, the part of the brain that's sort of overseeing and regulating things, and give yourself permission. And if you have kids, it's okay to cry in front of your kids. I mean, I wouldn't lose it all the time, and I wouldn't, you know, have a complete meltdown, but you can cry and say, this is what this is what, what happens when people feel things deeply. And I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to be fine. And if you're one of those people that cries when you're mad and you don't want to cry, just say, I am, I'm crying, but I'm strong. I've got this. this is, and this is what you need to hear, even though you're crying. And if you're in a state where you can't cry, you want to have that internal maternal voice towards yourself where you send yourself some love. There's so much that you have packed down and cut off and not allowed to yourself to feel over the years that you want to give yourself permission to let that all come up and out. Emotions are things. They're things with an electrical charge. They don't go away just because you pack them down. They come out in other ways. Then it's not a good thing if I'm having dinner with my daughter and she says, dad, can you pass the salad? And I start sobbing. That's not a good sign. Well, here's the thing. If you do that every time, it's not good, right? (laughs) But if once in a while you cry during your salad and she's like, dad, what's up? I don't know, but I'm just so happy I'm crying. Let Just be real. Children like to know that their parents have all of the emotions that they feel. And then while you're crying, you say, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. This isn't the end of the world. I'm just having a moment. And then you're also giving your daughter permission to cry. Right. This is why I'm starting the new the new line of crying camps. And these are places where people will come, families, and they'll just cry. Listen, I can remember, I can think about all the times when I've sort of pinched that off yeah. that I want to cry. And that's what it, that's part of what it comes from. It comes from, you know, not making enough room. Oddly enough, like I said, our guest today is just a brilliant, brilliant comedian. I had a conversation with her that was very interesting because this person is like one of the funniest people in the world, like without question, one of the funniest people in the world, one of the best stand-up comics in the world, great writer, uh, author. And she has a new book out called Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we are all in trouble. Let's take a listen to a conversation we have with Judy Gold right now. And of course, funniest person in the world. What do I start talking to her about? Crying. You've never cried in therapy. Is that really true? I I really have a hard time crying. It's so bad. It's like, I will cry 
like I'll hold everything in and then I'll get triggered to cry. It could be a song. It could be a scene in a movie. I could be reading something or most likely I can't find my keys. I tripped on the end of my comforter and fell, which happened the other night. And I just was like, I can't take it anymore. Like I'll have to have something happen. And that releases the deluge of, I, you know, my sorrows. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think I have a little bit, you know, I've gotten teary eyed, but it's like so weird that I have this thing where I know that that's what they want. And that's why I don't want to give it to them. You know what I'm saying? Well, first of all, I mean, therapy is for, you know, we think that the therapist knows more than we do. And that's just a falsehood. It's actually, they're just trying to get you to hear yourself. You know, they're they're just trying to get you to realize what's going on with you. Right. But you know everything. You know everything that you need to know. Whether you're aware of it or not, that's a different thing. But you know everything. And I think when you're brought up, and I heard you say this on a podcast, that's why I'm mentioning it. When you're brought up to believe that you don't show your emotions in public. Right. That's an issue about showing your emotions. And it was constantly... You know, people who emoted in public in my family were fake and doing it for the attention. You you just don't know the truth. Did everybody do it for? Did you do it for attention as well? Because well, I'm I didn't. Guess cry. That you well, didn't. also, I no, I didn't. I mean, here's the thing. It's like I I was bullied and I didn't cry. I ignored them, like my mother told me to. Which then a therapist later on said, "Now that you should have used your." acerbic wit <laughs> to get back at them. But, you know, you you know, when you're in that situation, you just don't want to call more attention to yourself or that kind of attention to yourself. This idea of letting someone in or letting them see the true feelings or being vulnerable, being like I was taught, like being vulnerable gives the other person power. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're not going to want to do that. You're actually being taught not to do that. And then you're practicing it. So you've got a lot of practice doing that. Right. Right. Look, if you do it, if you do it, then they have power over you. Right. Well, that, well, that's just, and, and have you talked about that in therapy? Hmm. Have I discussed this in therapy? I don't know if I've hit it head on in therapy. That's an excellent question, Mr. Krasnick, doctor. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, if you have one session where that's the subject, you're going to have a breakthrough or you're going to kill somebody. Right, right, right. I, I mean, I you definitely- You might kill somebody. You might. No, I've, I've definitely mentioned that growing up that that was what I was taught. Definitely for sure. But I don't know if I've gone that extra step to talk about, listen, if I lose all control in here- that's exactly what you want. And I'm not going to give you what you want. Well, you have a belief. You have a belief, right, right, a thought right, that you right. think over and over again, whether it's conscious right. or unconscious, you just keep thinking it. Right. And the challenge to it. But what you did is you found this thing, you found your your power with your sense of humor and by being right. on stage. And so when you're on stage, you're the only one who has the power. Nobody has power of you. Over right. You on stage. And- and the power it of, you know, being of laughter, of the laughter coming from, you know, I'm controlling that. Instead of laughing at me, I'm now a step ahead. I'm the step ahead of everyone. Right. So that's very, that's a really healthy thing to be able to do. That's a very right. creative way to, to, to handle that situation. But I'm just wondering, now you have a personal relationship. When you have personal relationships, you know, how does it affect 
being vulnerable because if you're going to be vulnerable with, with the people who are closest to you, they're going to have power over you. So how does that well, what happen? Well, here's the deal. I don't, in front of my kids, uh, I, I don't mind crying. You know, like they see me cry, like I'll cry at graduation or, you know, something like that. Okay. Ceremonial things. I'm definitely more in touch with my emotions, but Elisa definitely says I don't cry enough. And I do cry, but I don't cry when I'm supposed to cry. I save it. <laughs> <laughs> I save it so that well, I can lots cry of rules. Over right, there's right, lots right. of rules about crying. I don't know if I could. No, listen, my daughter says to me all the time, I never see you cry. And it's the most, it's the scariest thing in the world to me because I think of myself as a pretty emotional person. But right. I've also learned how to not speak up. I've learned, you know, I've learned and I've practiced so much not creating conflict because right. I believe if I create conflict, then I'm bad. I'm a bad person. So that's how, where I grew up. But in that way, Wait, did your parents fight? You, not, not a lot. No, but but what in my family you had, we had a no living room. In my family, if you had needs, right, you were burdening people. Because they were already overburdened. So the way to get points and the way to be a good kid is not to have needs. And beyond that, to help to take care of other people. I was a very good kid. My sister acted out and I acted in. You know, so I'm still learning about that. Are you the youngest or the oldest? I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest. Right. Same. Same. So your sister was a pain in the fucking ass. So she took away your right. Yeah, she she externalized everything that people were feeling and thinking and was the person who was in your in your face and I was the person who was making everything good and keeping everybody laughing and right. taking Clown. care of my parents. Yeah, and taking right. care of my parents. I mean, I you know, my parents were great people. Luckily, like you, you said I would, you know, you were you knew that you were loved and I knew that I was loved. I right. didn't have right. a problem with that. I grew up thinking that feelings were bad, any feeling. Right. I don't care so, what it I was. Mean, I definitely felt love, but bad communicators, really bad. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I mean, just bad, yeah. just bad communicators. But you're you're so you have these different sides of yourself because you're so, you know, you're a great, you're a terrific actress. You use your emotions oh. in your acting. You know, you use it on stage, and and I just wonder if you use it in your, you know, in your uh, in your life. And I wonder if it brings you closer to people uh, or maybe, but if you have that belief, that's a belief, you know, to be checked because that's an, in, you know, it's a false right. belief. I know. I know that it's false now. And I do cry. Like I cry at funerals and I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid of crying anymore. It does creep in, you know, you know but now know. you recognize it. You recognize it. Right. Like, right. it's like, you have to learn like I've been in so much therapy and I think the CBT therapy was the most helpful because yeah. it gives you these tools. So you get, you have a feeling or you have an emotion. And then did you hear that little burp? Uh, it was an inside burp. Well, sure. I didn't, the, you heard the, it? the mics are really good. Yeah. This, yeah. this system picks up everything. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Ed. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you have that feeling or that fear or whatever, and you can, ident- like you learn to, okay, what am I feeling right now? Is it real or is it made up? Sure. And being able to identify that, what am I doing right now? Is this like a pattern? You know, it's just a matter of stopping and thinking it through and recognizing it and saying, you know what, this is bullshit and I'm not going to well, let it fucking control me. 
Well, you have choices. You have choices. You have choices about your thoughts. You have choices about your feelings. You have choices right. about everything. And it doesn't matter if you choose something that's not even good for you, as long as you choose it consciously. Right. If you choose it consciously, it takes away the steam, it takes away right. the power of it. Comedians, because comedians, you're, you can use your thoughts against yourself. Right. You, you control the direction of your thoughts. So if you're reaching for something good, if you're reaching for good thoughts and you're acknowledging the other things and just letting them pass, it changes the direction of your brain, the way your brain works. So you're thinking about all the things that you want instead of all the things that you don't want. And it changes the way you live. It doesn't mean don't acknowledge your feelings, but it means you're not your feelings. You're not your thoughts. And they're just things. And you make choices about how you're going to respond to them. And that is mental health. That's mental health. People think that they're their thoughts. They think they're their feelings. They're not aware that they're having thoughts or why they're thinking something and, and then why they're feeling something in response to it. And but also anyway, the fear, fear, fear is also a big one. Well, fear and worry about all of it. I'm worried yeah. about thinking. I'm worried about feeling. What does right. it say about me? I'm worried about how people look at me. I'm worried about, I'm worried about being a human being. It, being right. a human being is you're going to feel a lot, a lot of work. Crap. It's a lot of work. You're going to feel a lot of crap. You don't have to believe it. It's just crap. It's just your mind is emptying out. Your mind's trying to protect you. And you think it's trying to, you think it's trying to control and hurt you. It's trying to protect you. You're wired for, for life during cave times, not during today's times. But I think that's re- that is being rewired as we speak with all these phone and all this shit that's going on. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. I mean, it's a problem. And the other thing is, and I'm sure you, I know you, because I've, I've listened to your podcast, I know you keep up on the news. The mental diet of what you put into your head. If I watch more than an hour of MSNBC a night, I am in shock and panic and fear and I oh, hate yeah. everything. And I yeah, hate everyone. I, I stopped. I, I've done a lot less because, first of all, if you actually sat and watched it, you'd realize it's just the same shit over and over. Right. New host, same right. shit. And the other thing that really pissed me off was the Tiger Woods, like four or five hours of a drone shot of a car. Like nothing else is fucking going on in the world. Like literally I looked on every, even Fox News, you know, they were covering it. It was like he got in a car accident. No one knew what happened. It was all speculation for four or five hours. And then you wonder why people don't trust the media. It's like, do your fucking job. Well, the the thing is, it's money. They don't want to pay journalists. None of those networks. There's no journalists. There's no, there's no journalism going on. It's just commentating. And the, and the reason is that it's money. If they have to pay journalists, they got to pay a lot more money. But if they put a guy, a panel under retainer and they say, we now have access to you, you come on whenever we ask you to, but we pay you a retainer, it's less money and you commentate. You're the expert. All right, Tiger Woods had a crash. Let's go over right. that again. What do you think about the crash? Right, right, right. And that's not news, but we think it is news. That's not news. News is, well, is Eric like, Severide. Right. Or Walter Con- Cronkite. And right. It was that's like news. He had no idea whether they were Democrats or Republicans or independents. Right. You had no it's idea. It's not my opinion. It's not, the news is not right. an opinion. It's not, I don't have an opinion about the news. Now, Rachel Maddow is, is great and is, is very entertaining, but it's all her opinion. This is what, you know, she tries to give you facts and information, but it's, this is her opinion. 
I know, but she is fucking smart her. and sorry, and she's uncovered so much stuff. No, she does give you facts. And she and she is a, she, yeah, she's a journalist and she's fucking brilliant. Okay. Yeah. And they don't, and you know, the orange fuckface people never fucked with her because they knew they weren't going to win. But right. CNN and MSNBC are supposedly news networks, but Fox is an entertainment network. It, that's it's an entertainment news. It's not regular news. It's entertainment news. So yeah, and it, and it, and it, but the pro the other problem with it is it's on twenty four hours a day. Right, right. See, if you were the office, if you were like the British office, like the way they do things in England, where they have right. a series, but the series is no, never runs for more than three years. Right. If you if you have to fill twenty four hours a day, and and you're conflict based, there just isn't that much you can do. I mean, you can only you you are trying to raise your ratings. You're trying to get a response. But You're trying also, to you have now created a society that is addicted to the conflict. Welcome back. This is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. Just listening to Judy Gold Part One. So addicted to conflict, addicted to reaction. So that if you're watching TV. When you don't have that feeling of your blood boiling, you think that there's something wrong or it's not actually. So we're cross-wired now. Do you experience this, Jennifer? And how can you actually shift it? How do you shift the kind of person who you know watches MSNBC to see what horror happened today? Well, I, honestly, I think the first step is to realize that it's an addiction. It is. Even just flipping through your phone, it's like boring, boring, seen it. Eh. Ooh, this looks good, right? And anytime you get this, ooh, or you're watching the news, boring, boring, ooh, this is shocking. We become addicted to that feeling. And what that is, is the release of dopamine. And dopamine is actually a hormone that's meant to reward us for doing something boring, like fishing or building something, right? It's so boring, but when you're done, you get a blast of dopamine, which feels really good, which then makes you want to do that thing again. And because you already did that thing once, you're going to seek out a bigger blast of dopamine when you have to do it again. So now you can see how with news, with video games, with apps on your phone, shopping, drugs, sugar, porn, like all of that stuff is basically designed to give your brain a incredible blast of dopamine, which it then craves. Dopamine leads to pleasure. We've confused pleasure and happiness in our culture, right? And that you need more of that thing the next time to get that same thrill that you got the last time. And your brain now keeps seeking that blast of adrenaline to balance itself and that, that dopamine to balance itself. But because we've confused pleasure and happiness, we're kind of messing ourselves up here because happiness comes from connection comes from playing a board game with your family, hugging someone, your dog, like just connection brings you oxytocin and serotonin. And those chemicals lead to happiness. They're also known as the here and now chemicals, and they bring you back into the moment. But we keep constantly seeking dopamine, which gets in the way of those beautiful reward chemicals we get from actually connecting with people and talking to people where you watch people walking around or even at dinner or even when they're watching a show they're all on the they're all on the phones they're all connected to their devices looking for that dopamine hit when the most incredible reward chemicals come from the people sitting beside you if you can get that phone out of your hand if you can turn the news off and you and I have talked about this that's a, a steady diet of news like that 
shapes your brain, shapes your biochemistry. Your brain does the, your limbic system doesn't know that you're watching something. It thinks that it's happening. So then you go to sleep with high levels of cortisol and adrenaline. You're on edge. You're snappy with your family. You don't even know why. And it's because you're watching this stuff and you have a steady diet of drama and trauma. Your brain is the most incredible soft technical computer. I mean, it's it's amazing what our brain can do. And and understanding that it's that a lot of what we so how we operate are because of programs that were installed prior to the age of seven. So long-term memories, there's no capacity to even store those anywhere prior to the age of seven or eight. That gets laid down later at eight, nine, and 10. So we're literally all walking around with an operating system that's designed for a seven-year-old, but we're adults, right? And then we're operating with, with something so primal and wondering why we're not coping. But once you recognize it's a program, you can rewrite the program. You are the architect of your own brain. The brain is neuroplastic. You know, like I think of the movie Inside Out, and I think of all these, you know, people in the control room, mm-hmm. and, they, and they are running your, your life. They're running your, all of your emotions are running your life. And how you, you know, there's, a, there's another part of that, and that's, I'm not going to let an emotion run my life. I'm actually, I'm actually choosing how to program this and how to operate this. And I think that a lot of times we don't even get to that kind of thing. We're too busy living and running and And racing. And reacting, right? Instead of responding. Yeah. Yeah. All according to a program, all according to a set of beliefs that were in place when we were kids that we used to to handle whatever kind of family we grew up in. You have an adult that's walking around and really it's a seven-year-old program. It's kind of like you're you're working with Super Mario yeah. <laughs> in your life. Yeah. And just to really, you know, realize that, that people have, you know, there's a brain. It's a very important uh, function. It's a very important thing to, to have a relationship with right. it. And when uh, you work on yourself, which can look like therapy, or it can look like, you know, just watching amazing self-help things and reading phenomenal self-books and thought leaders on the latest research on your brain. Like you just said, you know, you have a brand new computer, you wouldn't have an operating system from 12 years ago or 15 years ago on it. You want to constantly be upgrading your system. And you do that by challenging your thoughts, eating well and exercising and and learning about your brain and finding out what the latest research says and listening to people who can teach you, uh, like this show, for example, that you you really are the programmer. You are not your program. And it's really, you can tell, uh, there are certain telltale signs, like if you're 30, 40, 50, 20, whatever you are, and you actually respond to somebody, and within your sentence is the word poo-poo head, that is not an adult. You sh- you'll know that it's not. Now, I don't want to be too silly about it, but, but really, honest to God, it's like that, that's who's running the store yeah. inside. Now, we're going to go back to part two of our conversation with Judy Gold now. And in this part, uh, we talk a little bit about media and how we respond and how we not even respond, but how we react to media in today's climate. So here's part two of a conversation I had with Judy Gold. Lisa and I watched the Woody Allen, the first part of the Woody Allen. Oh, boy. Uh, And then. Neither of us slept that night. 
we are reactionary. So, you know, Woody Allen's book and, you know, this is our society. It's like, they love this. They love, look, I don't know. And I have no idea. I always believe, I tend to believe the victims because I can't imagine someone. But that being said, there's only a few people who know the truth. Right. And I, and I, I just think that you have that, you have that branding in today's world. Yeah. Anytime you mention his name, everybody gets this look on their face and they're like, oh no, I can't watch those movies. No, I'm never going to watch another Woody Allen movie. And it's like, well, like Bill Hicks used to say, well then take all the stuff that you loved about Beethoven and don't ever listen to Beethoven again. Right. <laughs> because, the, because these people are deeply flawed. As human beings, they're deeply right. flawed. I mean, I talk about this in my book, you know, like Coco Chanel was a Nazi. She was a Nazi. She was embedded with the Nazis. Okay. And yet I go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and everyone's wearing Chanel scarves, Chanel suits, Chanel purses, Chanel, Chanel, Chanel. It's the same kind of thing. I watched the Michael Jackson documentary with the two guys. Right. I have to say that I really believe them. Like there's no way, I, you know, I believe them a hundred percent when I listen to music from, you know, his, you know, Michael Jackson being an adult, not the Jackson five, but during that time period where these guys were discussing what happened, I do get like, ew, grossed out. It did change my, you know, my feelings about those songs because sure. of him. Yeah. Sure. So. Sure. Yeah. No, that happens. That happens too. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not you know, people have to be held accountable for their action. To me, and I, I don't hear this a lot, everybody's talking about systemic racism. Nobody talks about how it's connected to mental health. You can't hate other people if you don't hate yourself. You can't do those things. Those things start internally. That's about the way you, that's about mental health. Right. No one looks at it. Nobody, yeah. nobody says, hey, Maybe it has something to do with the way I deal with my thoughts and feelings that I'm blaming and scapegoating and that I hate people. That might be something to, to right. do with it. You know, and, this, and- is, this, is, this is important. You know, this is important stuff. Mental health is like such a, you know, that's the car. That's the way you move through the world. And if you don't include an exploration of mental health in your exploration of racism, you're going to repeat it over and over again. You're just going to. It's the same system. Right. But that's why I love Mary Trump's book so much, because she's a doctor of psychology, you know, a psychologist. And that book explains the pathologies and the acting out, the repercussions of, you know, his narcissistic disorder. And but we have such a stigma with mental health that if you went to Congress and was like, listen, this is a mental health problem. Like, it's yeah, not going to yeah, fly. The, no one's going to want to look to it. The thing that you could do is you could actually do a simple mental health test and you could see what's going on with people and who they really are. The, the EQ as well as the IQ. Right, right, right. But even that, how the hell do these people get elected to Congress? Well, they, they create fear. They're good at speaking. They're good at pushing the buttons of, of people in their constituents, their constituencies, right. and then they get elected. They're we pathological, have seven, yeah. We, we, but we have 74 million people who hate government, who don't believe that anything that's being told to them is the truth, who feel that they're not being listened to or heard, and who want to opt for any other thing than somebody who looks like a politician. 
and the problem is they want the same things that, that we that other people want. They want the th- same thing everybody wants. When, when you talk about what do you want, what's important to you in your life, it's not making the country great again. It's I want to be able to put food on the table. I want health insurance. Right, right. I want education for my and kids. Okay, all, I want that too. Right. But here's the thing. It, there's a lot of gaslighting that goes on, which is bad. But this idea that, and which I've always thought, everyone is good intrinsically everyone is good right i've lost that <laughs> i've lost yeah, that well, because of well, what's yeah. been going on you know like i used to really think okay there's got to be something good in that per- but no these people are fucking there's so many evil selfish out of touch it's it's ridiculous it is well we- this is yeah. this is what happens when you're this is what happens when you have no awareness and you're you're not well. I mean, these people are not well. Right. A well person doesn't get up in the morning and say, and this is not a protest, doesn't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go down and storm the White House. It's not I'm going to protest the White House. It's I'm going to bring I'm going to bring bear mace and guns. Right. That's right. not a protest. It's, no, that's not a protest. But but I'm saying they're not well. The, these people are really not well. You have to make people aware of their own awareness of how right. of how they right. move through life. But you can do it simply. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to shop at Whole Foods to do yoga. You can right. you can you can actually teach people things. But my thing is that you teach it through comedy. You teach it through entertainment. If you hear entertainers doing these practices and you see them and you hear what they do when they're depressed, what they do when they're unhappy, what they do when they're stressed, what they do when they feel, and you show it in a in an entertaining way. That's why I think comedians are the bringers of of mental health because they're willing to poke fun at themselves and they're willing to look at things and they're willing to explore and they're willing to make mistakes and they're willing to look bad. And this is what you need to teach these things. You need to well, show also, it. We tell the truth. That's the other thing that people don't realize. You know, there's a reason that on all these panel TV shows, there are comedians there that, you know, they'll have all the pundits, but then they'll have a comedian who's going to call something out or tell the truth or, you know, or well, say, only- say something in a pal, you know, say the subversive thing in a palatable way because humor, you know, great jokes make you think and laugh. And there's nothing more powerful than humor and emotion. Those two things together are an unbeatable combination. They're the most powerful combination in the world. One opens yep. you up and the other you're, you're willing to, you're expressing what's inside. This is the great, this is the great thing. Now, now just to, to really change topics here, because really, Judy, there's only one person in the world that could take Judy Gold, who is the funniest person in the world, and make her talk seriously for an hour. I'm really the only person who can do that. I know. And that's why, really that's why I have my popularity. That's why I'm so popular. But, right. You are. But, I mean. But, but, but now, now, let me just talk to you about these masks. There are designers. We have the Golden Globes tonight. We have mm-hmm. who are you wearing? Why can't a designer create a mask that's actually attractive where it doesn't look like you're robbing a stagecoach or about to do surgery? You know, Ed, that's an excellent question. And uh, there are some very, I find there's some very attractive masks. I've purchased them online. Yeah. Uh, and also, there's also a, you know, you can say something with your mask. It's like a bumper sticker, you know? That's true. That's true. Have you have you thought about renting out space and actually saying, look, if you're going to be a sponsor, I think I'm going to have to wear it. 
Yeah, that's really um, happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ed, you're really on the pulse. <laughs> I'm rolling. I'm rolling now. Yeah. Rolling, uh, rolling, rolling. Yeah. Oh, uh, Rawhide, what a great show. Now, with the book, writing a book is a, is a lot of work. It's a tremendous amount of work. What did you realize when you came through that process of writing that that you didn't know before? Is there anything oh that surprised God. you? Well, first of all, I was asked to write the book. So it was an assignment. And I didn't know what I, you know, it was interesting because it's an, it's a polemic. It's an argument, the book, right? And each chapter is its own little argument. And I wanted to make sure I included everything. And, and I love stand up and I love comedy and I do love laughter. And I can't take this that now audiences literally will laugh. They'll be like, oh, right. I'm not supposed to laugh at that. Like, it's so ridiculous that that's where we are right now. That they're mm-hmm. ooing and eyeing, and it's like, no, you laughed because it was funny. It doesn't fucking make whatever I'm talking about less horrible or cheapen it. You know, it's it's a joke. It's medicine and it's a weapon. But anyway, so writing the book, knowing that I had all these deadlines and that I'm not, I don't have good executive function. My friend Eddie Sarfati, who is brilliant, what I would do was I would sit and argue with him each chapter about, you know, the point I'm trying to make. Then I would write up the chapter. He would look at it and make all the, you know, this sounds better this way or, you know, suggestions. And then I would either take them or not take them and send them to the editor. So it was a great process because I had someone to argue every point with, you know, who's also a comedian and feels the same way I do. So I think if it, if it was a memoir, of course I wouldn't need to do that, but I you know, having him help me not go off on tangents and and make sense of everything and not prove my point and then unprove my point by saying something else. So for me, I like that collaborative type of work, but it is, you know, there were so many nights I was up all night writing, just making deadlines, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. I've gotten really good feedback. And it's funny because I go after the left and I go after the right in the book equally, hmm. only the people on the right will give me a bad review and say I'm a leftist because I talk about Trump's speech and why he gets away with saying whatever the fuck he wants. It's not even funny and doesn't get canceled. And yet a comedian who tells a joke that you don't like should never be able to get on stage again. It's like just ridiculous to me. Not taking one side or the other. How do you try to stop people from voting? Like how in America? Right, right. Which is all based on the whole country is based on the right to vote. Right. The whole history is based on we have to vote. We have the right to vote. And but not, voter and suppression not, has been going on forever. And my grandmother right. was 24. My grandmother was 24 when women got the right to vote. I mean, it's ridiculous. Voter fraud. There's fraud. But they're not willing to look at the statistics and the science that, that backs up the fact that there's very little voter fraud right. that, that actually happens. They only back up science that, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, is saying that you know, gender, there's male and female, and that's it. That's the science. That's not the science, number one. But you'll say it's the science to back up your ignorance and prejudice and psychopathological fucking behavior. And we're also going to make it as difficult as possible to vote. Now you have to have three pieces of ID in counties where people can't afford an ID. Right. Or don't have a car or a driver's license. But we're going to make you have to have triple yeah. check and we're going to pull out the voting booths and we're going to make ballot boxes. We're going to put fake ballot boxes. And what about, in. It should be a national holiday. 
No one should sure. have to work. Sure. And if you if you want to mail in ballots, if if you are going to do that, and they're going to try so hard to put a stop to that because it makes it accessible, but if you were going to do that, count the ballots before election day. And then on election day, release the figures. Right, right, right. What are you doing? You're doing it on election day? Really? There's one day, you know, or a couple days. Yeah, make it a month. Take a month. I mean, it's you're supposed to be celebrating this. You're a beacon of democracy to the world. That's what you keep saying. Why don't you show it? Why don't you? I mean, listen, Norway, Sweden, you know, there's something, not everything is perfect, but humanity is a big thing. <laughs> it's right, something right, that we've right, lost. Right, right. You know, that's did like we a ever big have thing. it, Ed? Did we I ever don't... really have it? No, we never and really And that's didn't. a question we need to <laughs> ask ourselves. Did we ever really have it? I could talk to you for I could go talk to you all day. But here's what's going to happen. Come on the show when you're free. Yes. And you're going to experience the magic that is Jennifer Kalari who is a real sought after therapist and also parenting and family therapist. She's so good and you're going to love her because she will okay. give you so many things and she has for so many people and, and the stuff works. It just works yeah, immediately. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks oh my for God. taking the time. Every time, Ed, you're the best. Judy Gold, great guest. She's going to come back, as you heard. She'll definitely come back. The reason why she wasn't able to be here is that she is writing on a show called Better Things on FX, a very good show created by Pamela Adlon. Great show. Judy's a writer on it. But as soon as that assignment finishes, she's going to be on the show. We have some great ones coming up. I want to tell you that next week we're going to have Barry Katz, who's a great comedy aficionado, comedy manager, comedy producer. Amazing. Talk about somebody who's articulate and aware of of what they're about and what they're doing. So Barry Katz. And then the following week, this is really interesting too. We're going to have a, a woman who I saw a story on on CBS Sunday Morning. Any parent has bought these toys at one point for their kids when they're growing up. Melissa and Doug. So Melissa and Doug is like the most one of the most famous brands in, in children's education, children's toys. Well, Melissa Bernstein is going to be with us. She founded it. She created it. And she's going to talk about what she's doing now, which is fascinating, because for years, she was chronically depressed while she was doing all these things, which is amazing to me. But Melissa Bernstein coming up and then Pete Holmes, comedian Pete Holmes, who uh, from the show, he had a show called Crashing, which worked on. He's coming up. So we got a lot of good things happening on the show. Jennifer, I want to thank you. I want people to go to ConnectedParenting.com to find out more about your work, uh, which has books, media, podcasts, services, all kinds of education for parents, kids, self-parenting, families. Go to ConnectedParenting.com and subscribe to the show. Give us a review. Share it with a friend. Whatever you can do, we love, we appreciate, we love that you're listening. And you can find everything, notes on the show at MakeLightMedia.com. MakeLight, one word, Media.com. So have a great week. Take care of yourselves. Keep crying. No, don't keep crying. But make room if you need to. And uh, I'm going to go and and have a good one right now. Thanks for listening. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time.